All right, this is Gary Parrish again from CBS Sports, and it is you know, Thursday, September 10th, and this is the Eye on College Basketball podcast. And I promised uh, you last week that I'd start doing a new episode every week the rest of the preseason, regardless of whether there was much new to talk about. The holiday combined with my travel schedule uh, pushed it later into the week than I had hoped, but I'm here now, and I'm joined by uh, my colleagues, Matt Norlander and Sam Bassini, and it has been a pretty quiet week in the sport other than... Uh, I guess Michigan announcing Zach Irvin, um, who was a double-digit scorer, is going to be sidelined for a while after a back procedure. We're going to get to that uh, in a bit. But let's start, if you don't mind, with uh, the big development to come, and that's that Kentucky coach John Calipari will be inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame on Friday night. He's going to give us six active coaches, college basketball coaches in the Hall of Fame. They are Mike Krzyzewski, Roy Williams, Rick Pitino, Larry Brown, Jim Beheim, and then, of course, John Calipari. So let me start with you, Norlander. What does... Calipari getting into the Hall of Fame mean for him, and what does it mean for Kentucky? Oh, the what does it mean questions. Well, first of all, I'm very happy that we're doing this podcast again. I get to talk to you fine gentlemen again. What does it mean for Kentucky? I don't know how much it means for Kentucky other than to just already, you know, put more jewels around all the trophies they've got, man. I mean, it's one more thing. Calipari is... I, all right, I guess you could say this. Calipari getting into the Hall of Fame, you could argue, with what he's done in the most competitive recruiting environment college basketball has ever had, he is, you could make the argument he's the second most important coach in the history of the program, and the Hall of Fame thing is a tangible piece of evidence that would really support that case. I think it's more important to Cal, um, you, you know, I, I got a little bit of a tangent to go on. I kind of thought... Mike DeCourcy of Sporting News and Seth Greenberg of ESPN on Twitter about this last week. This notion that John Calipari is not respected as an XNO basketball coach has become sort of a lazy default talking point that really is not based in any truth anymore and hasn't been for quite a while. It's something, it's something people said 10 years ago. It's not something people say now. Right. The only people that say it are... <clears throat> Are Twitter eggs who really, you know, do it to be trolls more than anything. This this idea that fans don't realize or know that John Calipari is a really good tactician, specifically on defense more than offense, but he can handle both sides and he's respected within the profession to a tremendous amount. Let's just give this up already. I mean, listen, he's gotten his due. He deserves his due. He's a really, really good basketball mind and he has been for a long time. And this is just and the idea that he is somehow still not getting his credit. No, this Hall of Fame nomination acceptance kind of trumps all of that. So that's just one of those things where, you know, I just... That's sort of interesting to me. What are other things in sports that people used to say all the time about somebody, and yet they don't say them anymore because they don't apply anymore? Well... Well, it's always like that the coach can't win the big one. Yeah. Right? That, like, yeah. That, that's always the most likely one. I guess Bill one. Self dealt with Bill that for a while. Yeah. Bill That's the biggest one, one yeah. that I thought of, too, yeah. Uh, Billy Donovan, only a guy who can recruit, can't coach. People said that once upon a time, and that t- completely went away. Like, completely went away. I mean, mm-hmm. Phil, anyone under 25 doesn't even remember this, but forever Phil Mickelson was the best golfer who couldn't win a major. I mean, that went on. Yeah, I don't mean so much, though, about... And, and, and I mean, that's on the right track. But you're I, but, talking not necessarily winning titles. Or yeah, like you can... Like, with the Mickelson thing, you're the best golfer who's never won a major, but then you actually, like 
actually check that box. You know, you win a major. I'm talking about where they've just changed the perception of themselves. And yet sometimes people, like you were talking about with, with Mike and Seth, um, you know, that people still, still will bring that up every once in a while. Like people don't realize how good of a coach John Calipari really is. And, and in fact, I think today, like in September 2015, I think people do realize how good of a coach he is. People don't say he's the best coach in the world. Like X is an O guy. Like people don't compare him to, to Tony Bennett, I don't guess, or um, Bo Ryan, I don't guess. But people, he's way better than some people wanted to give him credit for many, many years ago. Yeah, and to a certain extent, he was a victim of his own success when it came to recruiting because it's it's not necessarily fair, but when you have a certain level of success in recruiting players and landing so many big-time prospects, and I'm talking even before Kentucky when he really had it rolling in Memphis and it was so clear that Memphis in Conference USA was outpacing everyone, then, again, it's just an easy default piece of criticism that was never really based on a lot of truth, but over the years, you know, Calipari has accumulated so many wins and has done so much more beyond just simply recruiting at a level which was unprecedented before and now is really only getting matched by Mike Krzyzewski. But what he was able to do on the court and how he was able to get guys to the pros, that's the other thing, is that he was able to recruit players that were elite players, but we can look at plenty of instances where highly five-star kids go to programs Memphis fans right now would probably, even though Passner is not recruiting at the level Cal was, a lot of the criticism is that Passner can get guys that are really talented, Austin Nichols being a most recent example, that don't seem to blossom or enhance their games to the point where they're becoming NBA prospects and really thriving at the next level, whereas Cal has proven that he can prepare his guys for that in a huge way. So I think that also goes a lot toward his overall coaching ability. In my opinion, for the modern era, you know, 30 years from now, when we look back at college basketball, I'm thinking we're going to look back and see how Calipari changed the game, how Coach K had a renaissance in the winter of his career, and how those two coaches really defined college basketball from 2007-ish to about now, maybe a couple years from now. I mean, those are the two guys that have really just been able to perform and consistently coach at such a high level for such a long time that's really impressive, almost to the point where it's going to be this weird afterthought to be like, hey, remember that one random year when Kentucky was so oddly bad they lost at Robert Morris in the NIT? Like That's just a bizarre trivia question that doesn't really stick to what Cal's done at Kentucky, nor should it. One of the things I've... I've um, like that, that is one that stands out. And the fact that he only... And I, I put quote marks around the word only, but he only has one national championship at Kentucky, given how many times he's... You know. Yeah, that's by the way. That I mean, that's the thing people say about him now. It's so stupid because okay? it sets the bar impossibly high. Like the idea yeah. that you have to win a single, you have to win a single elimination tournament featuring sixty-eight teams, or you're not, or you somehow underachieved, is just it. It's to me, it's it's blatantly unfair. I mean, isn't it, Sam? Like it's just the the best roster doesn't always win the national championship, regardless of who's coaching the best roster. And yet, John has sort of set it up where he year in and year out, with few exceptions, has the best roster. But he still goes to Final Fours every year. Like what you mentioned when they lost to Robert Morris. One thing, um, and I don't think that team was going to be great no matter what. But that team lost its best player in the middle of the season to an ACL injury, Nerlens Noel. Outside of that, every year that John's been at Kentucky, think about that. This is crazy. He has either had a Final Four team 
or a team that was ranked number one in the country every year except for the year when he lost his best player. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's absolutely insane. Weren't that was that Kentucky team even ranked preseason number one? Why do I think that for some reason? The Nerlens Noel team. It was. It might yeah. have been. I mean, I I don't know, but it was it was top three like or that four. That team was that team was even really well regarded before that entire thing went down. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's an unfair standard for people to set, and I think that I still hear people say like John Calipari can't win the big one because you know he lost to Wisconsin this year. Uh, they lost to UConn last year. Uh, it's a totally unfair sentiment. The guy is, uh, he's a great coach. He knows how to motivate guys. He knows how to develop guys, uh, above all, uh, you ask anyone last year if they thought Devin Booker was going to be a one and done guy. Um, no one said that Devin Booker was going to be a one and done guy. They probably thought he was a two to three year player Uh, just because of his youth. Eric Bledsoe is another very good example of that. Uh, Willie Cauley Stein was a raw four star prospect that, uh, was an incredible athlete by all means. But, uh, uh, as everyone has seen the footage now, he was uh, a really good football player too. And, uh, didn't play a ton of basketball necessarily and didn't develop until later in that game. And John Calipari was a big help there. Uh, he's an incredible, uh, I think motivator and he really knows how to get the best out of his guys, how to develop guys, uh, and really just how to teach guys. I think that's one word that you hear thrown around a lot with another guy that was a Naismith hall of fame finalist this time around in Bo Ryan, uh, is that he's an incredible teacher. And I think that John Calipari is too. Uh, and, and you just don't really hear that spoken enough, uh, is to get through to these kids, to get through to all of these incredible five-star talents who have always been, uh, at the peak of their recruiting classes, at the peak of their age group in the entire country and really the entire world, uh, to get through to those guys and really, uh, show that you can be a team member and, uh, still show that you can reach your goals while not focusing on your individual self. Uh, that's, that's a thing that will go well above and beyond his uh, recruiting successes or his X's and O's thing. I mean, that, that's what makes him an incredible coach to me. And that's what makes him a hall of fame coach. You know, and by the way, yeah. you're, we've talked about this before it quite simply in college athletics, regardless of the sport that you coach in the program, you head up, the most important aspect of your job is your ability to recruit successfully because inherently that will tie itself, not exclusively and not always, but the trend show, it will tie itself to wins. And so the fact that John Calipari's, you know, the number one word you might associate with him at the end of the day, at the end of his career is recruiter or great recruiter, amazing recruiter, whatever it is, that's okay. Okay. It, that's mm-hmm. not bad. Yeah. It's a bad thing. You have to be able to recruit well. There's no... It, it, it's almost he's so he's so good at it, as I circle back to what I was saying before, that he was oddly stigmatized, which is just stupid because show me coaches who don't recruit well, and those are coaches that don't put up careers that are even seven years long, let alone 20, 27, 30 years long. So his ability to do that kind of from the get-go is what landed him in this spot. And it's a huge listen. I, I, you asked what it meant to Calipari. I really do think that this – is something that in Paris, you know, I'm the best of the three of us and you would know, but like, to me, this is something that we have recordings for before he speaks, but I would think like, listen, Cal, a lot of what he says with the media, there, a lot of it is, is so calculated and planned. This is something that 
I really think hits him in a big-time soft spot. It is a truly an achievement that I think hits him to his core in a very positive way. I wouldn't be shocked. I don't think I've ever seen Cal brought to tears, but it wouldn't surprise me if that happened during his speech because I think this is something like Tark, who the inclusion of this kind of club is a certain level of acceptance and acknowledgement that I don't know if Cal thought was possible even five, six years ago. And the fact that it's come at this point in his life, I think is even sooner than he was expecting it, even if he thought once he got that title with Kentucky that eventually that day would come. A few things here. Um, Back to the coaching and developing thing. Like people look at what he did, particularly in the last four years at Memphis and then throughout the, the time at Kentucky, um, and and point out how he had these juggernaut rosters and just and he ha- it has been the case at Kentucky, but at Memphis, even if you go back to that 2008 team, that was a great college basketball team. It had Derrick Rose, who's undeniably awesome. Outside of that, Joey Dorsey, borderline NBA player. CDR baby, come on now, Bo- borderline NBA player. I mean, like I, it, I, CDR <laughs> probably should not have been an NBA player. Uh, but my point is, th- this Based ain't like that. he had three lottery picks. You know, he had he had yeah, you know. Sure. Antonio Anderson went undrafted, Dozier undrafted, Dorsey has bounced around. He, you know, he's not in the NBA anymore. He was on the bench last he's, year. I guess he's, yeah, a, he's a borderline NBA guy and CDR borderline NBA guy. If you go back to that 2008 Final Four when they ran UCLA off the court, like UCLA had Russell Westbrook and Kevin Love and Darren Collison. Like in hindsight, Memphis was the least talented team in that final four because that was the one with the four number one seeds in terms if, if you define it by NBA players now the counter argument of course would be Memphis's guys were all older Joey Dorsey was like 25 Robert Dozier was like 23 Antonio <laughs> I mean they were old they were men you know so like that would be the counter argument but my point is at Memphis he didn't have like all of these pros that 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 he's had at Kentucky again the 2008 team one star and two borderline NBA guys the 2016, that was a number one seed. It had a freshman, Chris Douglas Roberts, and it had Sean Williams. Like that, that's the, those are the only pros that came mm-hmm. off of that roster. The 2019, that went to the Sweet 16, um, Tyreek Evans and nobody else that ended up in the NBA. So like, Dozier, I want to say, got drafted. Yeah, but he didn't. He never played in the NBA. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then you go back to, and this might be the best example. He had a team with one pro at UMass ranked number one in the country going to final fours, you know, like that, like, so the idea that he can only coach elite level talent is, is untrue because he's done it with, uh, you know, in, in inferior rosters to the rest of the country. Again, that most of his teams at Memphis had, you know, they, they were talented, but it wasn't like these Kentucky teams and the UMass team. It was Marcus Camby and like Lou Rowe and a couple little guards and whatever. Um, Here's here's another really good example that 2011 Kentucky team where uh, I want to say he took them to the Final Four. Uh, that team was Brandon Knight, Josh Harrelson, and right. like DeAndre Liggins, Deron Lamb, and, yeah, yeah, and he got Harrelson and Liggins to the NBA. Right, he got like, Harrelson drafted. Which he got Josh Harrelson drafted. Easy, that is insane to me. Insane. So so th- that's one point I wanted to make. The other one, and you mentioned it. I, I think everybody who listens. who would be listening to a college basketball podcast in September knows that um, I live in Memphis. I was the Memphis beat writer before I was at CBS. I was John's beat writer for four years. I don't think there's another media person alive who has 
sat in on more John Calipari practices or spent more one-on-one time with John Calipari. Like, in, in, I'm not telling you I'm the closest media member with John Calipari in the country. I'm just telling you I've spent more time around him than anybody else in the country. And you've nailed it, Norlander. I, I, you cannot overstate how much this Hall of Fame thing means to him from the perspective of being accepted by the establishment. One of the things, and I'm going to write about this in my final thought of the um, Inside College Hoops column that, that post on Friday. Um, you know, I cannot tell you how many conversations I have with him, whether it was on airplanes or, you know, after practices or in restaurants or just whenever. Um, again, I was his only beat writer with the guy every single day. Um, after, after a while, you run out of stuff to talk about. So you just start talking about the same things. And I can't tell you how many times he mentioned about his desire to be on the, the way he would phrase it is the right side of the rope. Like he felt like he had spent his entire career on the wrong side of the rope. The rope being the rope you might see outside of a club, right? Like, like he could compete with anybody in the club. But he couldn't get a job in the club. He wasn't accepted in the club. He wasn't embraced the way Mike Krzyzewski was embraced or Roy Williams was embraced. And that's the main reason he left Memphis for Kentucky. Now, listen, anybody would leave Memphis for Kentucky, except for like maybe like a Larry Finch or something like that, who was born in Memphis, went to school in Memphis, whatever. So there's nothing unique about leaving Memphis for Kentucky. It's an incredibly uh, awesome job and a far superior job. But... John's, but, you know, it wasn't about money because, you know, Fred Smith, the CEO of FedEx was, you know, was willing to pay John literally whatever he needed to pay him. Like John left money on the table by going to Kentucky. That's a fact. He's still wealthy, but he left money on the table. Um, he could obviously win at an incredibly high level at Memphis. He was doing that. The building was full, facilities top-notch, all that stuff. The, the most attract, attractive aspect of the Kentucky job for John was finally being the head coach at a Blue Blood program. Finally being invited to walk through that rope. And this Hall of Fame induction is just another part of that, that like you said, Norlander, I don't think he actually anticipated. I think he hoped for it and dreamed of it, but I don't think he thought in the year 2015 he would have this moment he's going to have tomorrow night. And for a guy who, and perhaps perhaps uh, fairly, has always, by most people, been considered an outsider. Uh, for a guy to, to, you know, be the head coach, at, that guy to be the head coach at Kentucky and inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame, um, it is a huge, huge deal to him um, in terms of, wow, you know, I, I'm not an outsider anymore. There are still people who don't like him, but he's very much part of that elite club now. Yeah, and, and there are still plenty, and this is largely fans, but that consider him a cheater sure. that will cite the vacations of previous final fours and say that's still attached to him in a, in a large negative way. And whether or not that should impact whether he got into the hall of fame, I, I don't know. If well, let me, true. let me stop you there because this is something else I had here. I wanted to talk about. Okay. I, I'm curious. Do because if you would have asked me four years ago, will John Calipari get in the hall of fame? I'd say two vacated final fours. It ain't going to happen. Like, you know, we, we look, look at the Baseball Hall of Fame. Like, Barry Bonds can't get into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Why? Because he's been labeled a cheater. And while I know that nothing has ever been tied directly to John Calipari, the fact remains, right or wrong, he's had two vacated Final Fours. And I would have thought three years ago that would prevent this. Clearly it hasn't. But what you find out is that 
NCAA issues don't really prevent people from these types of things, achievements or accolades in college basketball. Um, there, like I said earlier, there's six guys, active coaches in the Hall of Fame, Naismith Hall of Fame, and three of them, 50%, have NCAA issues right now. Roy Williams, waiting to go before the Committee on Infractions. Um, Larry Brown, waiting to go before Committee on Infractions. And Jim Beheim, who's on probation and going to be suspended games this upcoming season. Meantime, uh, you know, Rick Pitino has had, uh, I don't really think NCAA issues, but certainly, I mean, you can do a Google search if you want to. Um, John's got the two vacated Final Fours. The only one that's mostly clean in, in, in this way is Mike Krzyzewski. And you could reasonably argue he shouldn't be because of the Corey Maggette thing or the Lance Thomas thing. Yes. So like, so I, I, so I guess my point is the NCAA stuff doesn't really hinder folks from getting into the Naismith Hall of Fame, but I'm curious, Norlander, you brought it up. I'll just ask you the same question back to you. Do you think it should? Uh, maybe to a certain extent, I think it would, it would depend on how hard you got hit, uh, what could ever be proven. Uh, There is certainly a a case for it. I'm not going to say that, that there isn't, but I guess I would go at a very basic approach with this and say, you look at the coach, his career, the things he's accomplished, take all of it into perspective and what he's done, including any violations that might be or were level levied against him. And if you are to remove the violations and still look at his career and what he had done without those seasons or without a, a specific era, would you consider him still among the all-time greats? Yes, because basically, this is a kind of a, a simplistic barroom argument, but Hall of Fame, fame is the key word. You cannot tell the story of college basketball post-2000 without John Calipari. He is among the two or three most significant figures in the game itself. And for that, among all of, above all of the reasons and the fact that he has won a national championship and revitalized a Kentucky program to the point where I think Kentucky is the most powerful program and at a time when the sport has never been tougher to navigate, then absolutely Calipari deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Sam, and uh, Norlander, your argument's the exact argument I used to make for Tark before he got in. Like, you can't tell the story of college basketball without Jerry Tarkanian. Put him in the Hall of Fame. Um, Sam, you agree, disagree. Should Cal's NCAA issues, or let me rephrase, should the issues that John Calipari's programs have endured with the NCAA, um, should they matter when it comes to talking about the Naismith Hall of Fame? I don't think so. Um, It's just basically like uh, Matt said, you can't tell the story of college basketball, especially in the modern era uh, without John Calipari in his six years at Kentucky. uh, He has had 24 kids drafted. Uh, That's insane. I just did a little bit of number crunching bill self in his 12 years. He's probably uh, the next best guy to send uh, as far as sending guys to the NBA. He has 19 in 12 years. Billy Donovan, I think, had 15 in 19 years. Uh, Roy Williams, since 1988, has 30. And John Calipari has 24 in six years. Yeah. Um, that is an absolutely remarkable thing. And whenever you're talking about college, to me, yeah, the awards are great. The national championships are awesome. Uh, th- those are absolutely terrific barometers of his coaching ability. But whenever you're talking about college, you're talking about developing kids, to me, 
to go on and become professionals either in basketball or in something else. And John Calipari clearly develops these kids into professionals better than uh, anyone probably ever. I, I mean, maybe John Wooden, but I'll tell you what, I probably placed uh, John Calipari's last six years up against anything John Wooden did. No, and as like, far as sending kids to the NBA, that is not a, not as far as his success on the floor. But and this is as always far as sending kids to the NBA. Yeah, and this is always a debate, right? Because it's like, okay, who couldn't send Derrick Rose to the NBA or Anthony Davis to the NBA? And I totally get that, but I go back to you go back and look at the Willie Colley Stein, Devin like Devin Booker, Willie Colley Stein, Eric Bledsoe. Yes, any of us could put Anthony Davis in the NBA, but not anybody could turn Eric Bledsoe into Eric Bledsoe. Not anybody yeah. could turn Willie Colley Stein into Willie Colley Stein. Like I, I'm not saying he's the only one who could do it, but he's the only one who did it, and that. To me, that is a greater testament to his ability to develop players. Uh, it, here's here's the other thing too. How many of his kids have like busted in the NBA? Yeah, not not many. DeJuan Wagner, I would say, is one. Yeah, but that was that was injuries. Like, De- and it he, was. Yeah, why yeah. he got sick and like. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, or, like you're looking at John Wall, Demarcus Cousins, Marcus Camby, uh, Derek Rose, uh, Inez Cantor is now. Yeah. Getting seventy million dollars uh, for the next four years. I mean, uh, if you wanted to nitpick, I guess you could say Dan- is fine. Daniel like, Orton. I mean, Orton, if you want- Orton is Orton, Orton, Orton was like a 29th overall, though. Yeah, like, and like and Orton, pretty- Orton's also a guy that they didn't. I don't want to say they didn't want him to leave because I don't think they liked him that much. But um, he's not somebody they would have advised. Hey, kid, you're ready to go. Like they wanted, yeah, same they with Archie Goodwin. Right, it's another one. Right. Like, He's, he went in the first round, but uh, he's a kid that's still developing, I guess. And he's, you know, maybe he'll have a shot. But regardless, he went 29th. But the kids that went high in the draft, there hasn't been one outside of Wagner, who obviously there were, uh, you know, some mitigating issues, like you mentioned, that have busted even. And that rate of just success for kids and the ability to develop kids on top of that is remarkable. It's a record unlike, uh, I think, any that I've certainly been alive for. And by the way, one one last thing here uh, that we see, we've talked about so many aspects with Cal's career and they're all legitimate and they all deserve. We didn't even mention the fact that we are not even seven months removed from from him coaching a team to the greatest start in the history of men's division one. basketball. Like they went 38. No. And they lost in the final four. You basically can only go, go one game better and not have an undefeated season. How about and that? So, like to me, like that—that's the bottom line, right? We're right. sitting here for like it's—it's—it's it's, it's been twenty-six minutes, and we've basically been talking about John Calipari's career for twenty-six minutes and all of the wild accomplishments he's had. And it took us twenty-six minutes to get to the thirty-eight no start. Crazy. Yep. That's that—that's a testament to. And we haven't even mentioned the 38 and two year, which is probably the best year in modern college, like in the last, what, decade and a half of college basketball. Sure. I would would say with with this Hall of Fame induction, I I think the undefeated season is really the only thing. I mean, there can only be two things like really big picture that Cal really would want to chase and could idealistically chase to that, that are still goals to keep him driven. This just to get an undefeated season, which I don't, I think last year is as close as you're going to get. And it would be to win as many titles at Kentucky to try and match UCLA's total in hoops. That, that, those are the only two things that I think are realistic in terms of goals that he can set himself because everything else he's, he's accomplished. Let me, uh, uh, I mean, there's also the NBA too. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think that's yeah, always going to be there. Colin. But yeah, the, I'm just talking college. Yeah. yeah, the NBA stuff is always going to be hanging over him on some level. And I, I'm still not convinced that he doesn't have a desire somewhere to try it again. But he's almost priced himself out of the market. Like, you know, like, like NBA guys, <laughs> unless they have the dual role, like, um, right. like Doc or Van yeah, Gundy, Van right? Yeah. Unless they have the dual role, they don't, re- uh, you know, pop. They don't really make the kind of money John's making right now. And John, By the way, Johnny's the type the of guy who takes big cuts. I think he's the only, I think that's the only way he would go to the NBA. Right. Is if you gave him total control. You'd have to I don't give, know that team would do that, I'll but take, I think that's the only way he'd do it. Let me actually take it a step further. It wouldn't be just total, he'd have to have total control and a star. He'd have to have total control and a ready, like, it'd have to be total control plus Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Yeah, total like control or, like plus if New Anthony Orleans Davis. opens in three years. Yeah. yeah. It had to be total control plus Anthony Davis. Total control plus LeBron. You know, something like that, uh, where yeah. he's set up, where he can reasonably, you know, look at the situation and say, okay, I can win a championship next year. I think that's the only thing that could possibly lure him there. Although, if I were a betting man, I'd bet uh, that he retires at Kentucky someday. Let's switch it a little bit. Let me ask you this. Who are the guys coaching right now that you would bet your paycheck that they're also going to be in the Naismith Hall of Fame? Uh, Bill Self. Yeah, Self's the big one. I'd point to Bo Ryan uh, didn't get in. You think Bo? Do you think Bo will get in? Yes, I think Bo is going to get in. I do too. Uh, Self. All right, so hold on. Let me just let me just roll these off real quick, and then you guys can pick. I'm going to give you five. Man, there are there are a lot of candidates here. Uh, I'll say Bo. I'll say Self. I'll say Sean Miller is going to get there. I oh man, um, Tom Izzo. Izzo is going to get there, and uh, let me just let me just toss a few names at you here because there's there's a few that Billy. Let's if, go ahead and take Billy Donovan off the table. He'll get there, but he yeah, might I'm, do I'm it take, I'm, he's yeah. not active in college, so I'm right. not including him. But I'm I'm going to toss some names. I'm going to toss you Jay Wright. I'm going to toss you Tony Bennett. I'll toss you Mark Few. I'll toss you. Who else is going to be? I'll toss you Thad Mata. These I'm not saying these are going to get in. I'm, I'm just you know look at what they've done and what they might be able to do. I'll give you those guys. I got to figure a couple of those will eventually get in. With Mark, so he's still lacking the Final Four. Do you need a Final Four to get there? Can coaches get there? I know, like I don't know. He is he is so he is such an interesting case. He might need one, yeah. which isn't entirely fair, but. At the same time, I don't know if anyone's ever made it and not reached a That's final. what I was – well, I mean, like, low-level guys, right? Like, you know, guys who coach at the Division Two level or, oh, yeah. you know, like that. But, yeah, I, I – the interesting thing about uh, Bo Ryan's resume is that it includes his Division Two stuff, right? Like, yeah. like, that's part of it, which is an advantage. I wonder if a guy, a high-major coach, has ever gotten in without a Final Four. I don't know. All the guys you mentioned are, are reasonable – uh, guesses. Would you put in, okay, uh, right now, Mark Few or Greg Marshall? Not saying either should be in or will be in, but if you if you said one could go in and you could only put pick one, who would you who would you pick? I don't, I don't know. I'd I, pick Mark Few, certainly. I, I think, think he's been more important to the uh, like long-term uh, portion of college basketball. But man, even if certainly. you look at what what Greg did at Winthrop isn't unlike yeah, what Few exactly. has done at Gonzaga. Like that, That's the thing, but like people mm. almost don't Dude, like he kicked ass at Winthrop Dude, every it, single year. Yes, yes. I guess. He had two. Like, I mean, Mark Few's been to the NCAA tournament every single year he's been there. Like, 
Marshall, you know, those last three years, he had those 27, 23, 29 win years. Uh, before that, he missed the tournament two years in a row. Uh, and the two years before that, uh, he was like a solid team in his league. Like that won the, the, yeah, they were like second, I think, or something like that, that won the tournament to get into the NCAA tournament. Gonzaga has been a consistent at-large team for 16 years now. But that's because you can schedule to be an at-large team at Gonzaga, whereas you can't do that at Winthrop. And here, Greg went to seven NCAA tournaments in nine years at Winthrop and finished first or second in the league in eight of the nine years. Never finished worse than third, and he actually won it six times. That's a, that it's an incredible resume. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm, I'm not trying to totally diminish yeah, what he did. It's just awesome. I, but, think, I think I would pick Marshall because he had the first undefeated team since Vegas. He also made a final four in a separate year and he made a sweet 16 last season has won more than 30 games. What? Three or four times in his career. Past three, past three years, past three years. It's close. I don't know. Just a, a I, I, I got no problem. I, I think they can both end up in the Final Four. I, I mean, in, in the Hall of Fame because now yeah. they're both set up where they're con- – it, it's clear Mark's not leaving Gonzaga. I think it's starting to get clear that unless somebody like North Carolina wants Greg, he's probably going to retire at Wichita. He's making so much money now. And if he, if he stays at w- Wichita with the way they've committed to that program, he's going to keep doing what he's doing. And he won't, he won't get – he won't have the luxury of a Van Vliet Baker out of nowhere backcourt every year or maybe ever again. But um, he's going to continue to win 25 to 30 games a year, and that given the league that he's in. Yeah. Um, so his resume is only going to – I don't want to say it's going to get better, but it ain't going to look worse. It ain't yeah. going to get worse going forward. But uh, Certainly, yeah. Yeah, and they're both 52 years old. They were born 62 days apart. Uh, That's a weird so thing to know. Have... Why do you know that? No, he's, he's, Sam is yeah. bringing up Wiki on the fly here. Okay. Yeah, I did have. I had the Wikipedia <laughs> okay, up. He knew that. Um, but that's just like a random thing. That's a kind of cool thing that they're so close in age, and they're going to be very, uh, very analogous coaches for the next, I would say, eight years. Right. Right. Like, no, I, I think all, I think all the yeah. guys that Norlander named have a chance. I think they all yeah. have a have. And a, then there's the, the other group that's just it's just too soon. Like it's sorry, but it's too soon on Shaka. Archie, young guys in the, the there's just you gotta they need a wider could they be, need a good, they beeline need, could beeline get there oh that's the one I didn't mention oh man and he'd need to win like a national title I think speaking of beeline segue oh yeah nice go ahead oh god well <laughs> well listen he's kind of been snake bitten a little bit here and this is just you know it's something yes. of a minor college basketball offseason headline. But Zach Irvin, he's got an, he's got a back issue. He's going to miss the start of uh, he's going to miss the start of the regular season, probably. And are we Zach, sure that's probable? Uh, I, I don't know that that's probable yeah. either. Six. It, what, they said it? six to eight weeks, and eight weeks puts him at November fourth. That's a good point. It is a back injury, though, so you never know. Right. So hopefully, he's available uh, because Michigan. Listen, Michigan had a brutal season last year. They went sixteen and sixteen. They just the, the offense was nothing of what Beeline usually kind of has. But that was injury stuff, too. They lost it the was. Oh, it, yeah, they no. were struggling before the yeah, injuries, that's fair. though. That's they, fair. they were. I mean, but, they lost NJIT, uh, Eastern yeah, Michigan. That's true. Is that uh, right? Yeah. They didn't yeah. have Vert, and they didn't have Walton. So it's going to be an intriguing team. Uh, Lavert should be, their obviously, their most important player. And Lavert's already a senior. My gosh. He's uh, really young for being a senior, though. 
crazy. 20 or 21. To me, I really like Irvin with what he does on this team overall. If he's healthy, that's that's it's pretty important to for Michigan to kind of keep up with the race in the Big Ten, which should be interesting at the top. I would go as far as to say I think they need Zach Irvin to be a top five team in the Big Ten. Uh, just what he can do to space the floor for guys like Derek Walton, who's not necessarily the most traditional point guard, uh, not a guy who's really going to attack you off the dribble like you know most point guards do. It's not that he's not capable of it, but he's not necessarily on the same level as a lot of point guards are at that. Uh, Karis LeVert, again, he's going to need some space to operate, and Zach Irvin can really give you that. Uh, he's one of the better shooters in college basketball, I think. Uh, so it's going to be really important for their offense to have Irvin just as a secondary complementary option behind LeVert uh, without him. That Big Ten is really strong this year. You're looking at... Uh, both Maryland and Indiana, who I think are top 10 teams in the country. And I know that there's going to be some argument and some pushback there on Indiana, but they're one of, to me, they're one of the 10 most talented teams in the country. Certainly. Uh, then you're looking at a team like Purdue that has an incredible amount of talent, uh, Wisconsin and Michigan state, both of whom made the final four last year and lose a little bit of, uh, talent, but they also, uh, especially in Michigan State's case, brought in some talent that should be able to offset that. So it's going to be a really deep year. I have Michigan sixth in the Big Ten right now uh, preseason without Irvin. I mean, they could drop to seventh just because I'm not necessarily convinced that this group is that great to begin with after the way they started last year. Is is at the top, have we looked at it closely enough? I mean, would you consider the Big Ten the toughest or is it the ACC? I would probably still say the ACC. Yeah. Um, uh, just because you have Virginia, uh, North Carolina, Duke. Duke. Uh, Big Te- the Big 12 also has a pretty good argument, in my opinion. Uh, they're going to have three top 10 teams preseason. You're yep. going to have Kansas, Oklahoma, Iowa State, uh, plus Baylor and West Virginia return a pretty decent amount from uh, solid NCAA tournament teams last year. And then there's Texas, uh, who uh, th- they were the subject of uh, my college basketball mailbag, uh, the lead in it this week. And I think they're a lot more talented than people are giving them credit for, to be honest. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if we looked up and they had, you know, 22 wins in an NCAA tournament berth. Last thing before we get out of here that I want to touch on, just kind of an odd story from the weekend. Norlander, I think you wrote about it, so I'll address you. Stevie Clark, the former Oklahoma State player, has filed a lawsuit against I don't know, the school, Travis Ford, everybody, like Pistol Pete. Um, <laughs> uh, T-Boone. Yeah, T-Boone. Yeah, if you're going to sue somebody, that probably ought to be T-Boone and just see if he'll settle with you for pennies relative yeah. to his fortune. Um, suggest that uh, Oklahoma State is the reason he's no long, he's not going to make it to the NBA and he's suing for damages. Just this really didn't get picked up like – the way it might otherwise, a former player accusing yeah. uh, a coach, because I think there's an allegation where somebody promised him a Camaro of all things. Yeah. Um, it, it, are we just sort of like, let me be clear. I never, ever, ever am surprised to hear somebody was promised something to go to school somewhere. So I'm not dismissive of the claim, but we just sort of chalk this up as a crazy person being crazy, right? Possibly. Uh, I thought this story might get a little more run, but it came out uh, amid college football's first week, NFL. It's not a known player. Oklahoma State's on a program in college hoops nationally that really resonates whatsoever. But 
you know, he claims Marcus Smart hazed him, and that's, you know, one of the more well-known college basketball players of the past half decade. Stevie Clark was at Oklahoma State for half a season in 2013-14. You know, most people don't know who Stevie Clark is. But, yes, the suit basically claims that Travis Ford insisted or team coaches insisted that Stevie Clark take a certain kind of medication. Psychotropic drugs is what the the lawsuit actually alleges. And that led Stevie Clark to severe depressive episodes where he thought about both suicide and murder and claims to have sought counseling on campus for this kind of stuff. I mean, listen, some of the stuff in there is legitimately serious. And if he has documentation and proof that he actually did some of this stuff, then yeah, it's actually a pretty serious thing. And Travis Ford, by the way, not the most beloved coach at Oklahoma State, but Stevie (laughs) Clark is a kid who got himself in trouble to begin with. Now, some of the suit claims that the first time he got busted for the suspension, it was to marijuana possession. And he took the hit for a bunch of guys that were in his room and the marijuana was in his room. Like, who knows? It could be semantics there. It might have been his. It might have not. We can't, we can't speak to that whatsoever. But broadly speaking, Stevie Clark, who was a top 100 kid going into Oklahoma State, is claiming that the culture at Oklahoma State, led by Travis Ford, basically torpedoed any chances he thought he had of making the NBA. And because of that, he is now suing for damages and future what could have been i don't know how legitimate listen i'm not a lawyer i can't speak to how legitimate the lawsuit is it's kind of a ridiculous like the claims in it i'm telling you what if this same exact thing happened to the starting running back at oklahoma state i think it would be a huge story because oklahoma state means more in college football than it does in college basketball and we care more about football but overall i don't know if anything's going to come with it it's this, you know, Stevie Clark got kicked off the team because he was urinating from a moving car. Yeah, my guess is, my guess is pissing, <laughs> pissing out of the window of a car torpedoed your chances of going to the NBA. I know, exactly. Well, so, be, first not. and foremost, let, let's say this: being five foot eleven, yeah, uh, probably torpedoes his chances of being <laughs> yeah. in the NBA. Yeah, like, being five foot eleven awesome. with a drug habit and pissing out of a car is more likely the things that torpedoed his NBA chances. I know. I'm not. I don't think that he has really much of a chance to to win anything here. But if if any of the stuff that's alleged is proven, I mean, it's not going to look good for Ford whatsoever. Who really is, you know, he's up against it now. That's a that's a hot seat candidate. For I'll sure. say I'll say that that's fair. If he has any way to prove anything, um, as far as his claims, uh, even though I still don't know that he would win much in the way of damages uh, just because again, he's a five foot 11 guy that was like a top 75, like bottom of the top 75 recruit. Um, So, so it'd be really, really hard for him to actually prove that he would be in the NBA right now. Um, uh, It would be really bad for Ford. It'd probably be curtains on uh, God, uh, Travis Ford. Yeah. Yeah. And what's funny is like, you know, remember the story from early in the off season where there was a report from the Oklahoma newspaper that, some boosters were trying to encourage the athletic director to buy right. out Travis Ford. Like this might even be welcomed by some of the boosters. Like, man, if you can prove this, we can void the contract and get out of this. How bad stuff. would it be if some of the boosters convinced Stevie Clark to come forward? I know, right? Uh, like that's not, there's not a 0% chance that happened. I would say maybe <laughs> like 5%, but yeah. like there's not a 0% chance that that. Happened. Oh, it's crazy. It's, it's a wild story. Again, like it's, the kid, it's really- the craziest lawsuit I've ever had to write about. I don't know how much truth it's based well, here, on. Here's what I would say. I was I, like, you've got to be kidding me. I would like, say, listen, I'm not even suggesting that his allegations 
are untrue. Like they they might be true. Like hell, they prop they. I'll just say they might be true. Um, but like that ain't the reason you ain't in the NBA. That's that's the part I find laughable. Like he's trying yeah. to tie. He's taking A and trying to connect it to B, but they don't connect in any way. Um, but uh, whatever, we'll keep an eye on it. I guess. Remember, you can uh, subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes, which is. Of course, the quickest way to get your hands on the latest edition. So make sure to do that. Uh, We're going to get out of here and promise to talk to you again next week. Take care.